Hello and welcome to the True Purpose podcast. My name is Will Stewart and I am founder of True Purpose Enterprises. We are a collection of businesses created to empower and promote future-proof enterprises that drive both happiness and success. On this podcast, our conversations will explore what it means to lead with true purpose and why this is necessary for people, planet, and most crucially, profit. If you like inspiring stories of resilience, purpose, happiness, and biscuits, then your ears are in the right place. So uh, today is a very exciting day um, because my guest this week is none other than True Purpose Enterprises' driving force, our chief commercial officer, and my number two across our crazy group of businesses, Bethann Garten. So Bethann is unique so unique i often question whether she is actually human or is she some form of ai robot or uh alien bethan is very welsh um especially during the six nations i love the welsh normally during the six nations i love them more unless we lose to the welsh then i don't talk to you about rugby do i she lives in half of wales and half of england which was very handy during the complicated regional lockdown rules She invents her own metaphors, which are unique in their own way. And I think one of the things that I find really inspiring working with you is nothing phases you. Nothing at all ever really sort of gets to you. And you're an incredible human at just processing the levels of stress and complications around our business. So you're very brilliant, very handy for me. Everything is just water off a dog's back or off a chicken's back as we would say she is a modern day dr doolittle with a growing menagerie of animals which she talks about a lot and if you've met beth Ann, as i'm sure most of you have she'll tell you about chickens she can make you belly laugh and cry in one conversation and like me she talks a lot so beth Ann has worked across agency brand and licensee side and um, so almost the full house within our supply chain of the, the licensing industry and it does give her a unique perspective on everything licensing she is the best licensing professional in the world and i'm lucky to have her in my tribe um so beth Ann, thank you for taking time out of your crazy busy life to join us on the true purpose podcast today Thanks for having me, I think. Let's see how the next 45 minutes goes. I'm wondering whether this could be one of the few things that, um, yeah, that you, you don't just brush, brush away. It's, it's strange. I, I must have had a hundred, a thousand conversations with you, but none like this. The reason we wanted to bring some of the team on as guests in this podcast is because uh, you learn the podcast conversation is different to any of our other conversations, and you get to learn about the person more than just you know the the professional. Maybe is there anything I've missed on your intro that you think I should highlight? I just thought this is very strange. It is very it's strange. Kind of official on a podcast. <laughs> I mean, no, you can almost as long as my husband and had millions of conversations with you. Yeah, yeah, Although exactly. I spoke to you more in the last probably than I speak to him, maybe. Yes, and also the other weird thing that we have in our business is Bethan's husband is also called Will. Oh, yeah. So Bethan, when, and when new people join, um, Bethan will say things like, I was in bed with Will last night telling him <laughs> about this. And of course, that creates some interesting conversations. Yeah, people don't know. 
Um, but anyway, we are here to talk about purpose and true purpose. And I think it's always good, you know, we just going back. So, you know, what was your, what was your childhood like? Let's start there and then think about how your, you know, career progressed in those early, early jobs. So, you know, was your childhood a happy, happy one? Yeah, I would say it was a happy one. I grew up on Anglesey, North Wales on a farm in the middle of nowhere. I didn't really like where I lived. Everyone thinks of a farm as an idyllic place to live, but if it gets in the middle of nowhere, it quite often stinks. So, you know, it's not as pleasurable as people think. You know, if you want to go anywhere, especially when you get into be a teenager, you have to rely on the taxi of mum and dad, or in my case, the taxi of mum more often than dad. Um, but yeah, no, it was, they always encouraged me to kind of do what made me happy. Um, so like at school, et cetera, it was, you do your best at, you know, that's all we can ask for is do your best. Yeah. Yeah. If you do your best, you know, in their view, you'd thrive. So I think that worked for me. And if you did what you enjoyed, yeah. then put those two together, then that would work. So yeah, so I kind of was very artistic. You know, I was always, I wasn't one for ironically living on a farm, not being out, I didn't really enjoy going outside that much. <laughs> so my sister hated me because all she wants to do is play outside, play with the wall, whereas all I wanted to do was sit inside at the kitchen table drawing. But you weren't then, you yeah, forced out to muck out the Oh, yeah. Sheet. No, no you I, were. Was, oh, I okay. was. Yeah, yeah. No, there was one, even all the way up to uni age, so I remember going home like university holidays, and my dad wanted me to move to a sheep across the road with him. And he was useless at training sheepdogs. Useless. So they might as well have not been there. And so he used me as a sheepdog. But my dad had also had some quite colourful language that he used when gathering in sheep. So with, you know, usually directed at these useless sheepdogs, as I was standing, the colourful language was quite often directed at me. <laughs> so I remember one day just having enough and I just abandoned him in the middle of the road. With he just two walked away. And I just walked home, about <laughs> half a mile, and I, well, I stomped home, just stomped home, slammed the door of the house. And my mum was like, oh, God, what's happened? It's like, he's shouting at me, I'm not a sheepdog, and I've had enough. I've put up with this for, like, 19 years, no more. <laughs> and then he came running after me. You can't just leave me on a public highway with 200 sheep. Well, I have, and I'm not coming back until you apologise. Yeah, there were quite a lot of moments. Anyone, anyone would think that your traumatic history with <laughs> sheep would have kept you away from <laughs> sheep, but you do, in fact, own sheep. I don't own them anymore, but I did up until I was probably, what I think, until my 30s. Yeah, until about 34, 35, owned a flock of 60 sheep. Why would you own a flock of 50 sheep? Uh, so they paid my way through uni, which is quite okay. handy. It was okay. a business. Yeah. So I started, so I used to go to a young farmers club. Yeah. So, which some people know, some people won't. I went to a farmers club. Um, and then there, I kind of, you know, as well as growing up on the farm, then learned how to trim sheep, prepare sheep for shows. It's almost like going to crafts, but with a sheep rather than a dog. And then from there, was given a sheep. That sheep had twin lambs and then... Those lambs grew up, they had lambs, and then every time we sold them, we put some money in the bank account. So me and my sister had a little joint bank account. And then, yeah, we just built up our little cash pot and then invested in some pedigree sheep, Rolo and Twix. Nice. They were also twins, yeah, North Country Chiviots. Um, and they were really big sheep. 
they were very strong sheep. So my dad was very much like, you're going to have sheep and I'm going to keep them on my farm. They need to be, you know, they're not going to be teddy bears. They're not pets. They are commercial sheep. So, so yeah, so we had it as a little business between us. And then, yeah, literally kind of helped pay my way through uni. So, so that's, that's amazing. You know, I thought you just kept sheep because you're Welsh and Welsh people have sheep <laughs> and you love sheep. But actually, there was a real purpose behind that because, you know, it was a business yeah. and it paid your way yeah. through uni. Yeah, paid my way through uni. And then I got to meet loads of people. I literally traveled, you know, the UK. And I remember at like 18 or actually 17, passing my test in the March. And then two months later, going up to Scotland to the Royal Highlands show on my own. Well, with my sister, but she was younger than me. Um, so I was not just in charge of the sheep, I was in charge of her. And with a little trailer with my two sheep in, and off I went all the way from Wales to Scotland to show my sheep. Because you had to like go to the shows to build up your reputation. So yeah. you had to go to trade shows. Yeah, trade so shows you're building a brand. Reputation. You're building a brand, yeah. right? And from there, I then became the chairman of the North Country Chariot Society, the first woman and the youngest. Really? I was in my late 20s, yeah. Amazing. And then, um, so I was a North Wales. And then, yeah, and then my mum and dad split up when I was in my early 30s. Um, so there was a bit of a family rift. So at that point, I decided, I was living in London. It was really far to keep going home at weekends mm. to look after them and prepare them. Um, so I decided that was the right point to kind of step away from the sheep. Yeah. So I stepped away from the sheep. And then, yeah, and then my sister still continues. So she married a farmer, so she's got sheep. Um, so you're, so you're, chickens. Um, just to get you off sheep, off and sheep. before we start talking about <laughs> chickens, you know, so your, you know, childhood, you know, key things that have, that have stuck out for you was, you know, doing something you enjoy and doing, working hard or doing, yeah. doing your best. Yeah. Right. Those, and those are principles that, you know, I see in you as a professional now. Um, and obviously those principles become part of your, I guess, founding purpose of yeah. how you approach your professional life. Yeah. I always, I always had jobs, like on top of the sheep. So I like a Saturday, a Sunday, and a Friday night, I worked in co-op for four hours. Saturday morning, I worked in Specsavers for four hours. Then I had an hour's break, and then I went to Shoe Express for four hours in the afternoon. <laughs> and on a Sunday, I was back at co-op 10 till four, and that was my weekend. <laughs> And I liked a bit of variety. I didn't like being bored. Yeah. And I think that's what's key with licensing. It's variety and you don't get bored. So I'm probably variety, variety is the spice of life. Yeah. Right? I say it a lot. I know, you know, one of the principles of licensing is you can do anything. Right? Yeah. One of the joys yeah. of our, our industry. You can do anything. You could do any kind of deal. You know, we never thought we'd do dildo deals, did we? We really didn't. <laughs> we didn't. Um, but hey-ho, there we are. Yeah. Um, so what did you want to you know, you knew you didn't want to work on the farm no. or you know, even though running a sheep business. But what did you actually want to do when you were growing up? Right? You were artistic, right? That was your... Yeah. And your degree was in that, right? Product design. Yeah, so I did, um, did my A-levels and then I did an art foundation course. Because at that point, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yeah, I which is it's good to go through and tick yeah. off. I mean, the fact you worked in, you know, the opticians, the supermarket and the shoe <laughs> shop... You knew you didn't want to do shoe shop, opticians. Yeah, I all those out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, for a while, I wanted to be a hairdresser. Do you know okay. what you mean by that? No, yeah. I don't. No. Or, or, or a hairdresser or a long-distance lorry driver. Those okay. were the two things I, mean, those, I wanted to do. What was the... There's not much overlap between those. There isn't. There really isn't. I really like driving. I've always liked okay. driving. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I have things that I really want to sleep on a train, but I've 
train one day, like, you know, okay. like across Canada or something on a train. Yeah, okay. And I think, you know, I love ice road truckers. I like the idea of sleeping in a truck. Maybe you could have been a <laughs> a HGV driver who drove around doing... Hair. Yeah, had a hairdresser's <laughs> in the back. In and the you back just turn up at... Festivals, yeah. things like that. Doing mobile salons. Well, yeah. you know, maybe one day that could be yeah, a choice. One day. Um, so with all of your, you know, with, obviously we're here to talk about purpose and, you know, the founding principles of, you know, finding your way, you know, you, you obviously studied product design, you were artistic as a kid, you know, you worked hard, you wanted to do something you enjoyed, you enjoyed, you enjoyed yeah. that creative process. Yeah, yeah. I love, I love school. I love my job. I've always loved education learning work so do you think that's part of your purpose then you know if i said to you you know what is your purpose which is obviously one of the key questions in this but a very tricky one to answer i think it changes your purpose so i think when i was probably if i look back and think like my 20s and stuff i don't think i really knew what my purpose i knew what i wanted to do and i knew what i didn't want to do but I did really think about what am I contributing yeah. to the world as a whole. I don't think many probably do. No, which Maybe is which is fine. More, but but you but you were defining it more as you know I you know I know what I enjoy doing. Yeah, and therefore was your purpose about well if I do what I'm enjoying doing, then that's going to make me happy. So I want to be happy. Yeah, yeah, I want to be happy. That's that's really important actually. So you know I'm married to a policeman, and with him, if ever he's you know. Being the police has its ups and downs. And I'm very much, you get to a point where you just hate your job. I'd rather you leave and become a bin man or a train driver or, you know, something else, even if you're not, you know, it doesn't matter what, how much you earn. For me, I'd hate to be married to a miserable person. I want to be married to a happy person. And I'd like to be happy myself. Yeah. So it was always about, if I didn't like doing, you know, if you don't like doing something, you just, my view is just get out and do something different. Um, but I am lucky that I have actually... I think because I've always been encouraged by my mum, do what makes you happy. I have actually always been very happy. Yeah. I think I'm a happy person, or like you, to say. Yeah, good. Yeah. You, you happy at the I'm point? I'm very happy at the point. Yeah. <laughs> always good. Very always good happy to get at the point. Um, you have to carry me out in the body bag. Yeah, or <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving voluntarily. <laughs> so do you, do you think, you know, a bit, okay, so purpose for you is about happiness, doing what you enjoy. That those will be the principles. That yeah, you're I think um, I think now I think you know, and I'm forty two, and um, now for me it's things like volunteering, which you know I work I, every week. I run the clubs yeah. in the village. I'm a part of the team now, which is brilliant. So they're changing the way they run things. So it's all about team volunteering rather than individual volunteering, and that's really important to me. So, you know. Why, why is it important to you to do that? It's more for, for, the, the, kid, for the kids and the community. Yeah. I just think, well, you know, coming out of COVID, sadly, the leader of the Cubs, the Scouts, the Beavers, he actually passed away during COVID mm. in our village. I never met the man. I didn't even know that the Cubs, the Scouts and the Beavers existed. And then Theo, my seven-year-old, got to an age where he could join the Beavers and he'd been on the waiting list for like two years. Yeah. Um, and it was all because they didn't have anyone to, to run it. You know, so we needed to recruit new people to join and work as teams. So yes, yeah, so I just went down there one day, found found the hut in the middle of the village, yeah. hunted it down, and then just knocked on the door and went in. And you looking for anyone to help? It was also probably a little bit selfish of, well, if I help and we keep it running, he can go. Yeah, so, yeah. But it's the same for other kids. Yeah, you know, if they're not, you know, we don't want them hanging around on streets. 
Yeah, and I was one of those because I grew up on a farm. As much as I disliked the fact that I couldn't go anywhere because I literally lived in the middle of nowhere, unless my mum and dad took me, I had all my friends who lived in villages. And I remember they just used to hang around at the park or on street corners. And, you know, you get to a certain age and then you might be drinking cider. I don't know what they drink these days. <laughs> so I was like, that never actually, I never wanted to do that as a child. That never actually appealed to me. Yes. Um, and I think if you don't give kids something to do, you know, in their spare time, that's what prob- they'll probably end up there yeah. these days a lot worse. You you enjoy doing the cups. Oh, I love it. I absolutely yeah. love it. And going to like camps for weekends with them. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, that's such hard work organising and like having a full-time job and then I'm like yeah but when we're there and you see all these kids and they're like canoeing for the first time or they're on an abseiling walk for the first time or they're just start, you know starting a fire in a barbecue for the first yeah. time they've never had a barbecue yeah you know they never cook their own food because mum and dad do everything for them yeah you know we're really much encouraged you know be independent go and explore yeah a safe environment of amazing woodlands and places that you know, they can literally, we can let them go free reign. So, and it's great. They love it. Yeah. They come back and, oh, we've seen this or we've done that. Or, you know, we've never actually been able to just go for a little walk with our friends on our own. Yeah. You know, and then some of these kids are like 10 years old. Yeah. And they've always been with an adult. They've never actually, because you've got one extreme, I think, of parents where they just let them do what they want, let them free reign. They're yeah. doing all sorts. And then you've got the others who look terrified that something's going to happen. Yeah. So they never give them any freedom. Yeah. I think with cubs, the beavers, the scouts, and like the squirrels, for the younger ones. Oh, right. Yeah, the four-year-olds. And it gives them that freedom. So I just think it's really important. So do you think, going. like, yeah, so big volunteering is a key part, you know, purpose in, yeah. in, I think, probably most people's views. You know, you spoke about doing it, you know, doing it for the kids, doing it for the community. Um, and you know, giving them those experiences, you know, you're a very good leader um, professionally, and therefore those things can transfer into you know, being a leader of a, you know, being leader of a team professionally is easier than being a leader of a oh, load of kids. Yeah, twenty. But that, so that do you feel that the purpose there for you, you know, is you know I'm helping the community, I'm helping kids get opportunities that yeah. they may not have had. But then equally, yeah. and we've spoken about this before on the podcast around, you know, no act is, is truly selfless. No, you know, I really enjoy it. And, it and you get a lot out of it. Out of you. It does, you know, I love work. And I could work 24-7, literally, I love it. But, you know, I'd probably end up in an asylum if I did that. So, you know, you need to have a break and you need something. It's literally like a complete switch. I go from this to this yeah. and you then can't think about work or you can't think you about family life or yeah. you don't have to think about, you know, oh, I need to do this at home. You know, I need to mop the floor. You can literally just go, you're there and you are in charge of these kids. Yeah. So you have to be present and completely and fully immersed in, you know, you're there planning every week as planning activities. Yeah. So, you know. What's, um, yeah, I, I completely align with that. Doing something, you know, having kids, for example, when you're when you've got a very busy work life, you know, you've got to to only be able to shut you know shut down these thoughts is when you've got something else that's equally yeah. as engaging. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, taking kids camping, you got a lot on your mind, so you don't even have time to think about the other aspects yeah. of your life. Does purpose make you happy? I certainly believe it yeah. does. I think the example you've used there perfectly demonstrates that you actually really enjoy it but actually it's really good so it's this win-win it's a win-win for everybody 
And um, lots of things like, you know, I, I, got, I started gardening in lockdown. You know, that was for me. But actually, you know, we've just recently, I think it's Countryfile, I think it was, you can register your, like, acts for wildlife, where okay. if you build a pond or if you have, like, a bird house yeah. or if you have something that you've grown, yeah. you can register them and they're trying to get so many, like, there's a number that they're trying okay, to Okay, yeah, yeah. So I was like, great. Well, I started gardening, so actually it's not just for me. Yeah. actually contributing to the environment yeah and again i think when you have kids you suddenly start thinking oh god i'm not killing the planet yeah so even though i'd be selfish and i'm doing it for me it's like well actually no now i'm like we've got rain butts yeah to collect our water yeah. we are going to run out of water as a yeah. country so i think there's so many things that actually you, you might start selfishly but actually then contribute so kind of the wider purpose and vice versa. Yeah, and I also think there's an element of, you know, you're teaching a new generation of kids to think about these things, yeah. you know, and thinking, why are you doing gardening? Why are you collecting the water? You know, it's educating them in a way that will make them better than us yeah. when we think about how we grew up. And it's that's a you know, massive positive. Marginal gains, your next generation of, of little humans that you're teaching both at, you know, during your volunteering, but also at home is allowing them to think differently. And I see it with my kids already. They, they just, you know, we spoke about recycling before on this. They will just do things because that's what yeah. you do. They do what you do. So if you're setting the right example, it has a big difference. And we're not talking yeah. about changing things overnight. This whole thing, this whole idea of purpose and what we're trying to do here is a long, it's going to take years, yeah. decades, but it will happen. Doing their little bits. Yeah. I mean, clearly, you know, you're full of purpose, you know, because everything you're doing or everything you do, you have a, you know, you have a greater mission behind it. Now you work at True Purpose Enterprises, you, you know, you're running our brand brand extension business, the point eight eighty eight. How do you apply your sort of purposeful self at work? You know, we have a, a mission and a purpose and how does that apply to you as a as a professional in your day-to-day job? For me, I think it's about it's the people and the team. And it seems like always I've worked with you for a really long time. And I know you know I think we know each other really well. I trust you, you trust me. And that you know, when we have new team members come in, you know, if they've come from a corporate background, you know, or they're a mum or a dad, you know, I've seen in the past they'll come in and sometimes they don't quite believe what we're telling them. Yeah. And I've I spent a lot of time saying, you know, we really do mean it. You know, when we say you can go pick your child up or take them swimming or, you know, go to their afternoon sports day, or even if you think, you know what, I'm having a really stressful week. I just need a few hours to myself to decompress. Yeah. You can do that. You can yeah. actually do that. But it actually takes a while for people who join us to get to build that trust up. Yeah. And we I found I spent a lot of time making sure when people start that as soon as I can get that kind of like they, they get it and they trust it and they believe in it, then it just helps them almost de-stress and helps them relax, which then means actually for us as a business. You know, we get so much more back. Yeah. Because it allows them to just be a bit free in their thinking and they're not stressed and they're not worrying and they're not double guessing, you know, trying to think, what are we thinking? Yeah. And just do their own thing. So there's, you know, there's a, it's, it's challenging. Like when we first came up with ultra flexibility and we have these policies that are very people centric yeah. because we believe in them, you know, when I hired you, it was a yeah. huge part of why you joined. Right? Yeah. So it's a, it's a very good thing. Ultra flexibility is very good for employing 
really talented people because they really talented people value time over money more uh, yeah. uh, and want those flexibility things. And then now in the environment we're in post-COVID, people expect it. So, you know, those policies are, you know, give us some structure. Um, how do you as a leader, though, you know, we've, we've had people that join and, you know, I've had conversations, I'm sure you have, where they still you know, feel uh, not confident enough to say, I'm just going to go to the gym at 11 o'clock because it's quiet and I'm not working. Um, we've had those conversations, right? And it doesn't, ultra flexibility requires a lot of responsibility on the yeah. individual. How do you as a leader in the business, you know, encourage or how, how do you actually achieve those results and how quickly can you do yeah. it? Yeah, I think it's, it's a two-way street in terms of, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, ultra flexibility. It doesn't, yeah. Some people need structure. They want to be in an office every day, nine to five, and then just, that's it. And that's fine. And then other people, it works amazingly. And I think it's also about, like, people will, you know, message and they'll ask and say, oh, I'm just going to go and have my lunch. I'm like, why are you asking me? Why are you emailing? Or I'm just going to leave now to pick up such and such from school, but I'll be back later. I'm like, or they'll say, like, oh, I'm going to get back online later this evening at night. Yeah. So I need to go and do this. I'm like, okay. You've done your work. You've done what you want us to achieve today. Do you actually need to get back online tonight? Just because, you know, you think you should be doing these hours. Yeah. For us, it's more about, well, just achieve what we need to achieve. You know, some people might do that in so many hours and some people might say longer, yeah. but it's completely about their flexibility. So I think for me, it's, yeah, it's kind of literally at the basics of why are you asking yeah. permission? Yeah. Because then if they don't feel like they have to ask permission, then yeah. it becomes, I can just do this because I'm trusted and I can just get on with it. Yeah. And they know, you know, we trust each other. And yes. you soon know if someone is taking advantage because yes, the results aren't there. It's it, really easy. Yeah. So, and well, also the opposite, you also know when people are doing too much, you can see that as well. So again, it's about telling people when they need to stop. And I think that again builds trust because they know we're on it in terms of we can see what, you know, we can... See, you know, we don't want people killing themselves. Yeah. You know, nobody wants that. No, totally. And, you know, people, good people work hard. They work really you know, hard. There's no really excuse hard. for it. And, you know, we do have challenges sometimes where we're, we're trying to, you know, force people to take holidays yeah. or take a break. The work's very addictive that we do. Yes. We spoke about variety it. and we like it and we like the people we're working with. So, therefore, you're naturally drawn to it. Um, I think the things that you picked up there about, you know, trust particularly. So it's up there. It, you know, it's the founding value of how we work here. And I think trust takes time. Yeah, it does. You know, you can't just... You, you can't tell someone to trust you and just no, flick a switch and no. trust you. It does take time. It, it takes a long time. And that's where I think, where I have lots of conversations with people when they talk about, you know, Will really means this. I really mean it. And go speak to some of the other team members who've been here yeah. longer and ask them how they felt when they first joined and how they feel yeah. now. Yeah. And the answer is always the same. You know, yeah. we do mean it. Yeah. It worked out, it, when we talk about flexibility, it works through trust, task, and communication. Yeah. So the task thing is fascinating because there's lots of results based businesses now where it's like, just this is the work you need to do. This is the stuff we need to do. Now, when you do it, it doesn't matter. We still need you to do it. Yes. The yeah. trust thing takes time, yeah. but over time, I think with you as a leader, you've got to demonstrate it. So you've got to be doing the 
ultra flexibility thing. And you you do that because you've done it for a long time. You'll be like, I'm not around at the moment and no one's going to go, why not? The key part for me is that communication. So your trust takes time. The task thing is fine. You know, that that's clear. The communication is the bit. We've got to be confident to tell other people. Like in your team, someone junior in your team has got to be confident to just tell you, I'm going to go to the gym. And what the, what you're getting at the start is, oh, can I, I'm going yeah. to, can I go to the gym? In the beginning. And yeah. Like, well, and there must be a turning point yeah. where you see it in people yeah. where they just go, off to the gym, I'll yeah. see you in an hour. Yeah. Back. And that must be, yeah, <laughs> that must be your moment where you're like, oh no, they get it now. Yeah, and it can take months, right? It can take months or, or years. years. Yeah. And it's also things like emails. And I was talking to someone yesterday at a recent conference about this, about people CCing you on emails. Like, I'm a bit notorious for getting emails from people I think the biggest inbox of the It's horrendous. <laughs> the stress it would give me 44,000, um, 68,000 unread emails. But I don't delete emails. But a lot of the emails in my inbox, again, I'm like, CC'd. I'm like, you don't need to CC me on it. They're like, yeah, but we just want you on there, just, just in case. And it's like, no, but I trust, I trust you. You know, you, you'll have the email. Doesn't need to also be in my inbox. Um, but, you know, it's, again, it's that, it's that culture and that kind of, you know, letting, if you, you know, employ people who are better than you. Yeah. You know, like yesterday, Hannah mm-hmm. in our team presented at the retail conference and, oh my God. Yeah. Like, I, there was no way I was going to do that. She can do a much better job yeah, than I can. Yeah. So many people say, why didn't you present? I'm like, why would I when I'm, I'm, I'm so amazing? <laughs> I'm not good enough. But she was amazing. Um, and, you know, and, and she likes it that I'm there in the front. Like, she likes me sitting in the front row and she's yeah. there as the moral support, smiling at her. Um, so, you know, so we do work really well as a team like that. But she is amazing. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. You know, she's amazing. Um, and I think that's the other thing is, you know, employ people who are better than you and then allow them to do their job and, you know, only kind of get involved when they either ask or you feel it's really, you know, it's really important you do get involved and let them know you're there. So it's not about yeah. just like, abandoning them. You know, you let them know you're there and, you know, like a few of us have a phrase where, you know, I'm there in the background as like the chief fire officer with the big hose. Well, it's like sending them in. And yeah. if they need the big massive hose, not just the piddly little hose, they'll shout for me and I'll come with the big hose. You know, we laugh about that. But, you know, and that, that's what it's about. It's like knowing we've got each other's back. And yes, then that's a huge part of, that. yeah, a huge part of Tribe and, you know, what we were building, again, values-wise is, you know, why do we have family, which is no longer accurate, it's Tribe now, because families, when they get bigger to our size, it becomes all a bit weird. But the <laughs> point is, We've got each other's backs. Yeah, we've got and each other's back. the, the, the You're running into the fire, I've got the hose thing, is a really good demonstration of how we give people that freedom. Yeah. Most highly talented, ambitious people want responsibility. Yeah, they want responsibility. It's hard. And your role as a leader is to support them. And, you yeah. know, sitting in the front row smiling is maybe the only bit you need to do during that presentation to give someone in your team the confidence that yeah. they're doing the right thing. Often we have people in our team that are so talented and so good. And your main role, in fact, your only role as a leader is just to keep reminding them of exactly, that. Exactly, because they don't think that. And yeah. Like, you are amazing. You are believing yourself. And, yeah. you know, you're so much better than you think you are. Yeah. And it is amazing. There's so many talented people in our organisation and others. And I'm like, why don't you believe in yourself? You know, why don't you? And I'm one of those people, and 
you know, I don't really care what people think about me. You know, I, I care if someone doesn't like me, but I actually don't, I don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. Which is, I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, but I just I think, think it's well, a good thing, right? I think so. I think so. Because I just think I haven't got time to worry about all the little things. Well, you've only got just, one personality and, you know, if people aren't going to like you, they're not going to like you. And I yeah. think as you get more senior and older, you just gain the wisdom of, look, it doesn't really matter if someone doesn't like you because you're just not going to give any energy to it. Yeah. You know, the people that I think you do care what they think of you and, uh, you know, I do as well as the people you really care about. Exactly. Yeah. The, you know, there's a yeah. small group of people in your life who you do really care what yeah. they think. Everyone else is yeah. just a bit yeah. meh. Yeah. And you hope they do. And I, and I think it comes but, back to, like, again, that do if you do your best, so I just think sometimes I think, well, I've done my best. My team have done their best. And if that's not good enough, well, we can't do any more. Well, it comes back to your founding principles, doesn't it? Do, you, yeah. do your best. Do your Leave best. everything on the pitch. If you've tried the hardest you can try, there's nothing there's to nothing worry about. You can, yeah. And secondly, happiness. So do you think purpose, you know, working at, at the point through Purpose Enterprises, do you think purpose, you know, has made us a happier team? Oh god, yeah. yeah, definitely. And you know, for for me, I've worked, you know, I've worked at corporates, agents, brands, licensees, and you know, certain companies I've worked for say say they have, you know, you could, yes, you can go and do a day for Chelsea. So oh, thanks, I can go and do a day for Chelsea, mm. um, and then you get guilt tripped. You haven't done, you know, That's the right. work that day, but you've done yeah. it the next day. It got yeah. done. Whereas they don't really mean it, they just have, they just feel like they they want to say it. Yes. Yeah, you know, and I've worked for other companies where you know they they genuinely meant it, but none of them have meant it as much as kind of this company by by any stretch of the imagination. And it's it's the difference as well why we went with true purpose. Um, yeah, because point. there's lots of people that talk about purpose because it's very trendy now, and you know what we're trying to really highlight is. Hey, you know, what is that? Because it's not easy. And if you Google purpose, don't even yeah. bother. But secondly, the, the difference about, you know, being authentic and truthful about the thing rather than saying the things because they're the right things to yeah. say. Yeah. And it's difficult in marketing because obviously everyone wants to be saying the right things. But the real, you know, happiness piece, I think, and when people join us, the my favorite line they say, and everybody said it is, can't believe how amazing a team. I love the team. And I was like, I told you so. I yes. told you you would. Told you. And then they do it, right? Yeah. Because it's all real. And I think that's the key thing here is like your purpose runs through us. And it was the first thing I said when we started the business, we're going to do it like this. And therefore it's run through and, and you attract people that are purposeful yeah. and then they reinforce that yeah. message. Yeah. And it's also, you know, like we, sounds, sounds, you know, we're friends. You know, I like are we friends? friends. We're friends. I like to think, I like to think we are. I like to think we're friends. Can we be friends? Can we be friends? Can your boss? <laughs> of course we can. I hope you so. Know, we're, we're friends. Um, and in the team, we've got people who are actually really close to each other and are friends and mixed socially. You need friends at work. Right? Yeah. You spend more time with your work colleagues than you do with most of your family. Yeah. Or so your work. other friends. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's, that for me, if your team are friends, and you can see that they're friends, then you, hopefully you're doing something right. Yeah. To help them be friends. 
Uh, it's been amazing. Um, my final question is, what is your favourite biscuit? And why? Oh, oh, my favourite biscuit. Oh, you should know this because we've, we've actually discussed this before. We have discussed it. I think I asked you in your interview. Oh, okay, so I love chocolate. Yeah. Ironically, I'm lactose intolerant, so I'm not supposed to eat chocolate. Yeah. I do eat it at night. I get a migraine and then I sleep through it. So it's all good. And I take some pasta. It's worth it. It's worth it. And yeah, and it's just, you get that crunch of those two biscuits yeah. with chocolate in the middle. Yeah. So, you it's know, great and you can eat it in so many different ways. You can. So you just eat, shove it all in, you Eating know, I have a mouth big enough that I can shove it all in in one yeah, go. Yeah, exactly. Or you yeah. can nibble it, you yeah. can take it apart, you can lick the cream yeah. off and then eat the biscuit. Yeah. Eating so alchemy, many, it's called. So many things you can do. I don't yeah. drink to your coffee either, so this is a bit, people say this look, is a bit this disgusting. Is... I dunk it in hot squash, which is a bit... Oh. With hot orange squash. Wow, you almost got so the biscuit or, question or right. Orange chocolate biscuit. But unfortunately, that <laughs> because dunkability is one of the key principles of yeah. importance of biscuits, and a, a bourbon is very good dunkable. Yeah. But I have never, and I never want to hear it again. <laughs> ever dunk it in hot squash. Crikey! It's right. That's it's like chocolate orange. <sighs> I'm just gonna. I don't want to ruin the end of this <laughs> conversation with this, but. Well done. You've chosen the right biscuit. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant choice. It scores highly across all of the criteria of good biscuits. So look, I just want to say a massive thank you for, for joining us today. You did get all of the questions right. So oh, well wow. done. 10 out of 10 performance. And really quickly. Oh, it has gone very quickly. It always does. And so at the True Purpose podcast, we're building a community of purpose-led leaders. We want to be part of a revolution to move towards a true purpose-led economy. We're inspiring every professional to think more purposely. It's going to take us years, maybe decades, but change is coming.